This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the New European Podcast. No Richard Porritt this week, you're stuck with Steve Anglesey. Later on I'll be joined by Jerry Scott and we will be crowning the worst Brexiteer of the week. But first, we'll be reviewing the Brexit news uh, with the fine broadcaster and journalist Neil Perry. Neil, hello. Hello there, Steve. It's uh, an awful lot to get our teeth into this week. There is. It's been an exciting week in Brexit as we all sort of flood back after the recess uh, and it's the start of term and... It's also the football transfer window this week, and um, and it, uh, Theresa May clearly knows about as much about football tr- football management as she does about election management because she has given Boris Johnson the the now familiar dreaded vote of confidence. Is it she? possible to have a vote of confidence that isn't dreaded? I don't think it really is. I so think that, they come in hand in hand. So though. if you don't if you don't follow football, the way this works is that a a chairman will say of a football manager, he has my full confidence. We're not going to sack him. And then what happens? Uh, immediately afterwards, possibly in the next forty eight hours, he's got a P forty five as a parachute and he's out the stadium window. Exactly, exactly. So. Boris Johnson, we talked a little bit about this on last week's uh, New European podcast. He uh, has been the subject of uh, several unflattering pieces. Some of them are suggesting that he's about to resign or or to be sacked. Um, He's appearing Samson-like on the cover of the New European uh, this week, which, if you've not seen it, is is a a fine cover of a fine newspaper. Um, And if all of that wasn't embarrassing enough for Boris Johnson, his PPS Connor Burns... uh, uh, Connor Burns' Twitter account, 
sent out a lot of uh, messages to uh, the EU negotiator Michel Barnier on Wednesday night. Quite combative and unpleasant messages. And obviously Connor Burns is saying that somehow his Twitter account was hacked because he couldn't possibly have sent that. Um, in the midst of all of this, Theresa May was asked whether Boris Johnson retained her confidence, and she said, yes, absolutely, uh, he's been doing an excellent job, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people are focusing on Brexit, but there are a lot of issues that he's dealing with around the world, uh, including, for example, his trip to Libya, which was a very important trip, which, which obviously is best remembered for the amusing rendition of, of God Save the Queen, isn't it? Um, Neil, what's what kind of what's been your favourite bits of, of all the, the slurs and the and, and the bile that's come out about Boris Johnson over the last week or so? It's actually quite difficult to pick because, <laughs> bless Boris, he's he is an easy target for the creative writer. If you want to have a pop at someone, frankly, you find someone who's easy to talk about. If you look at um, an awful lot of parliament uh, parliamentarians. There's, there's very little material. A stand-up would have a very hard job finding something to have a laugh at, and if you were putting spitting image together now, you'd have something of a headache. But I think um, a certain award should go to uh, Sean O'Grady at the um, at the Independent, who did particularly well. Um, whichever side of the political fence you sit, you have to respect the quality and the <laughs> imagination of the writing. If I was uh, wearing a hat right now and asked the sort of person to wear a hat, I'd be tipping it right now to um, Stowe Grady. Um, in an article here that is titled, The rest of the world seems to have realised that Boris Johnson is a joke. Isn't it about time we did too? Um, in the opening salvo it says uh, could it be though that he is in fact an idiot masquerading as a highly intelligent man who happens to be masquerading as an idiot it, it sounds That's like good. something of a, a proper old school farce where you find the vicar hiding in the in the wardrobe somewhere um, but- it's good and true yeah i like the newsnight one uh, mm-hmm. one figure this is a quote from newsnight uh one figure said uh, this is a a cabinet figure i believe one figure said that working with boris johnson is like walking a few feet behind a horse shoveling its shit well that's one way of phrasing it isn't it um times rachel sylvester also a nod uh, nod to rachel quoting an unnamed minister who said white house officials don't want to go anywhere near boris because they think he's a joke it's worse in europe there's not a single foreign minister there who takes him seriously they think he's a clown who can never resist a gag. Mm. And, and obviously, there are also there were also the allegation. I think in that Rachel Sylvester piece that that people just go to Boris's deputy Alan Duncan if they if they want anything done. Um, who do you think is behind all of these leaks? Is it or is it like Murder on the Orient Express, where there, well, everybody is queuing up to stab Boris Johnson? It almost seems there's there's too many to be able to pin it on anyone <laughs> whatsoever. It's marvellous, isn't the it? The thing is, there's been so many books written about Boris. There's been so many articles written about Boris. It's it's almost impossible to say. But I know from my experience, the very first time I got to. Uh, interview Boris face to face. It was whilst he was still uh, mayor of London in his early days days there. And you've got the microphone in front of him. You've got questions you need to ask him, which have nothing to do with what he actually wants to talk about that day. You crack into your interview and you suddenly think, I'm not listening to what you're saying. Why is that? And it's because there is that unstoppable urge to ruffle his hair Mm. without any any disrespect to his magnificent mane it is borderline distracting because you just want to see what would happen if you did it 
Yes. But of course, I, I maintained my professionalism, professionalism and did it, and I've regretted it to that day. What, what was the state of his hair when you interviewed him? Was it already ruffled? Because, of course, we, we, we know from several accounts, and I, I think there may even be video of this, but maybe that, that it's only video that exists in my brain. But we know from several accounts that he has come into a press conference or photo shoot with relatively smart hair, and then before he goes on camera, he ruffles up the hair to to, uh, to get that traditional Boris look. Well, he had just thrown himself down a fireman's pole with great gusto. Is, that a, is this a euphemism? Or? No, no, that was a, a factual uh, description. Okay. <laughs> He'd just come down a fireman's pole and uh, was suitably uh, fluffy. There was a very high fluffification ratio, if I'm, if I'm going to get technical. That is the technical. That is the technical Stop me if term. I'm I believe. That's, I if apologize. there are any barbers listening, uh, then uh, then I'm sure they uh, they enjoyed that. I'm sure we'll be talking more about Boris Johnson in in the, in the weeks to come. Um, we've got a great uh, a couple of great articles about him in this week's New European. It's a fine cover. Uh, if you've not seen it, uh, you will enjoy it on the newsstand. And things are moving on. You know, he is up to third in the next minister to leave the cabinet betting. That's behind Philip Hammond and Theresa May. And he's down to fourth in the betting to become the next Tory leader, um, which uh, is behind David Davis, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, unbelievably, um, and Philip Hammond. But you do have to take a step back and remember how comparatively limited time ago it was yeah. that he was the main man yeah. we were waiting the coronation he was the man who was going to be leading the great crusade out of Europe yeah before... what's the lesson of this do we think Neil for me it's if you're going to tell a massive lie don't write it in 10 foot letters on the side of a bus I think it's if you're running for the Tory leadership do not be the favourite yeah well that's it yeah <laughs> or maybe don't employ Michael Gove as your campaign manager um, so People on the offensive against Boris, and in a superb segue, which makes me think that you know a career in in maybe a Radio One is missed opportunity for me. Britain has been on the offensive this week in the in the EU negotiations with all of the magnificence of the Warmington on Sea Home Guard moving in on that U-boat crew. <laughs> we have gone on the we've gone to Brussels and we have gone on the attack. We're on the attack. I'm, I can't my my jingoistic heart is swelling it, it is it has been a, a brutal offensive with all the um fear and terror that strikes in my heart when my uh, six-year-old approaches me with a large foam sword um to be fair that is probably more threatening more threatening than that yes. so so let's just go through what has happened this week and we're recording this on a thursday afternoon you're you're going to be listening to it from friday morning things may change uh but so far, what we know is we are now letting it uh, be known that we don't believe that Michel Barnier has got the support of the 27, uh, a majority of the 27 other countries when he says there will be no trade talks with the UK um, before the divorce bill, the Irish uh, question and the issue of citizens' rights are all settled. So we are saying that we think the others, uh, a majority of the others want to get on with that. We're demanding that Barnier comes back to the negotiating table this month. So we've had a week of this, but we actually want another week in September uh, so we can get all of this agreed before October, which is the deadline for moving on to the trade deals, which is frankly slipping. We are threatening to go behind Barnier's back to Macron and to Merkel uh, for a, a secret deal uh, in return for a guaranteed divorce bill payment. My favourite bit of this, 
this week is that we made the EU negotiators sit through a three-hour PowerPoint presentation explaining why we don't owe them 75 million euros for the divorce bill, which, to be fair, they haven't asked us for. Well, Steve, uh, if, if you just pause there, if I can just pick through a couple of things you've gone through yeah, yeah. there. Let, let's look at the tactics that have been employed here. Step one, divide and rule which yes. I think is the, 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 the first thing of a, any major yes. uh, negotiation. We've got demands, we've got threatening behaviour, we've got hardball, and if none of those work, let's try and bore them to death with a three-hour power PowerPoint, which I'm fairly sure is against you know, the EU Bill of Human Rights somewhere. It's got to be in the small print <laughs> at the bottom. No one should have to sit through three hours of PowerPoint. If, did, did they use word art at any point just to really blow them away? That would be amazing. I mean, I all that is basically left in these negotiations is for David Davis to go home for his guitar like David Brent in the, the first series of The Office. Um, <laughs> also, we've, got, we've obviously got Theresa May as well, who is attempting to rebuild her shattered authority. Uh, she is now stomping around, uh, stomped around Japan like a, 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 a lady Godzilla. Uh, and she is saying that nothing has changed since her Lancaster House speech and the, her Article 50 letter uh, of course, everything has changed since then, but let's let her get on with it. So she is basically saying hard Brexit is still on the table. That is still the way the UK are going to go, and we are ready to walk away if none of this can be done. And Steve, it certainly sounds like you've given us a sneak preview of a future cover of the new European there. Yes, I think the, uh, I think we'll be we'll, we'll be doing. I think you've something. probably broken the official secret. I think we'll be doing something along those lines. Yes. So, Do you uh, think these tactics have got any chance of success? <sighs> It's it's impossible to say. The the whole negotiation process is, I probably liken it to trying to ride a bike without going through the stabilisers phrase first, having never actually seen a bike in the first place, yeah. potentially whilst wearing a blindfold. Yes. There is no precedent. There is pressure on all sides to actually cycle because you've got both your mum and dad there filming you, hoping to put it on Facebook to show <laughs> off to the other parents how advanced their particular child is at picking things up. Any approach they take, they're going to be told, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you go in softly, softly, trying yeah. to keep everyone happy, trying to appease the people of you know, the EU community and say, well, we, you know, we want to be friends and we want to do this deal, you'll get absolutely hammered and slaughtered by yes. the hard Brexiteers. Yes. If you take the hard route, the route they seem to be following, you're going to get absolutely hammered by the other side of the argument. There is no way... I, I, it's, it's unenviable. Whatever side of the political sense you, fit, uh, you sit on of this one, there is no way they can come out of it until we actually reach a set of conclusions that we won't know for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years yeah. with any kind of credit. It's a bit like, to, to go back to our football analogy earlier, it's a bit like the role of the England manager. <laughs> if you beat Malta, Slovakia and Lithuania 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, everyone will say, oh, well, we should have beaten them anyway. Yeah, yeah. You only get any credit until you've played France, Germany and, uh, and the like and actually beaten them. It is the impossible, impossible job. job. It's, it's the impossible, impossible job. job, and she is very much uh, Graham, Graham uh, uh, Taylor um, uh, saying, do I not like that, when, uh, when she sees the EU negotiation tactics. But I've just um, realised I've been a complete politician, not actually answered your question. No, that, was, I, that was good. No, I've, I've totally avoided your question. Have they got any I'm, realistic See, I'm going to become a Radio 1 DJ, and you are going to become a, a poli professional politician. <laughs> Someone has told me that before, but um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too far stuck on the fence to even approach that. But do those tactics have any realistic chance of success? Frankly, they've got to take a tactic. Yeah. If they keep um, 
sort of doing a doggy paddle around the issue and don't actually get on with it, nothing's actually ever going to get solved. There has to be a conclusion here for what for, for good or for bad, whether you agree with it or not. They've got to take on a set of tactics. If you haven't got a game plan, you've got to take it. So there's a realistic chance of there being some kind of solution at the end of it because there's got to be a solution at the end of it whether it'll be a success for the country whether it'll be a success for the political party that's having to go about those negotiations is a completely different question yes i mean i i just i do not see what i mean so so the first thing is that the eu knew this was coming the divide and rule um aspects of this they have flagged that up uh, for a long time, so they knew this was coming. They pretty much uh, they, they pretty much put out a statement straight away after the, these first stories emerged, saying the the twenty seven united. There is no prospect of of, um, of of any side deals or going over the head. Angela Merkel is involved in a in a re election campaign. Macron is doing whatever he can to uh, to. to bolster his flagging popularity there is just no way that those two are going to be breaking off from that to help the to help the brits out um and uh, but yeah i mean they they have to be seen to be uh, to, to to be doing something uh, and the and that is the that is the second thing isn't it so um it's also curious isn't it that around this while well, this has been going on there there seems to have been some unflattering stories about michelle barney a leak to the the, the right-wing press in this country. I wonder who could be behind this. Well, I'm shocked by that. It is a mystery, I'm shocked, isn't it? Aghast and, well, I, yeah. I, I'm, but some of the um, the stories, particularly the Telegraph, have been talking about the amount of money the different parties yeah. are going to be earning. Apparently, this has sparked outrage. Yeah. And I know you're going to ask me, am I outraged? Are you outraged? So, so Michelle Barnier earns seventy-two thousand pounds more a year. Than David Davis, which I would suggest is—is is this performance-related pay? Because if <laughs> if it is, he should be earning more. Well, it, to be honest, it seems—it seems making a story when, frankly, it, it's it's up to the individual employer how much they think that person yeah, is worth. Exactly. And I'm I'm certainly not. I'm not outraged. I'm. You just have to get on with it. If that's how much he's paid, then frankly, if David Davis wants to complain, then so be it. But I don't think there's a case to answer, really. I'm not particularly outraged, and it seems to be just trying to generate anti-EU feeling for the sake of it, really. Yes, exactly. I mean, we're back to football, aren't we? Mm. It's, you, you are paid what you are, what your, your perceived worth is, and, and Michelle Barnier's perceived worth is clearly higher than, than David Davis's. And the, the fact that we're out, that we're supposed to be outraged that he once went on a private jet is, is is frankly beyond belief. Well, I can see the level of outrage you're dealing with here. If if, if this was being done on the webcam, you, people would see you going purple. I am furious. Um, yeah, it's it's beyond my my jingoism is returning, and I am ready to march on Brussels. Uh, now up the Reds uh, as, as the football tenuous football analogies go go on. It's going through this one quite well, nice. It is. It is. There was a Super Sunday <laughs> surprise <laughs> last Sunday uh, when when the Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer uh, finally dropped his bombshell. Labour, woolly old Labour, and let's not even talk about Brexit in case we you know people don't like it and they won't vote for us. They now support full participation in, in the single market and the customs union during a big transition period that could last between two and four years. But anything is, is possible after that, apparently. Apparently, but it, 
for me, it suddenly feels like Labour have decided they need to stick a bit of a brand on their EU. Yeah. The, the Conservatives have, have long had one. They've they've been following we, well, we as we often perceive it as a, as a harder Brexit, whatever they they may say on that. That is the, the common perception. Um, the Lib Dems have been hoping against hope that it, it wouldn't happen, although that didn't exactly work for them at the election, didn't really have people flocking back to them in the numbers they may have wished. So Labour have needed a, a brand. They've needed a peg to hang their EU approach on, and it looks like that's going to be a soft Brexit. Yeah. A, Whatever a, that actually means in the long run. Yeah, a, a sensible Brexit and wait and see. I think there is a bit of water behind them. Somebody was saying clear red water the other day, which uh, I think it might be. I think it might be highly Alexander actually in, in, a, in a really excellent piece for the New European this week. There is some some a point of difference now, and uh, and maybe there will be enough. Maybe this approach will uh, will be soft enough and sensible enough to bring a couple of. Tory rebels on side and cause some parliamentary chaos in the next uh, session. It's very difficult for them because there is such a split in their in their ranks and their rank and file about what they, there, there was such a, a strong mood in some parts of the Labour Party that Brexit was the right thing to do. A lot of yep. the maybe the more traditional heartlands, you just have to look at how different parts of the country voted. A lot of Labour heartlands were voting in big numbers for Brexit where some of the more centre-left, I would suppose, were saying that, that Brexit was, was madness. How do they appease everyone? Yeah. A very, so far, it's be by saying as little as possible about it, so as not to upset anyone. But at least they now have a clear platform to work from. They do. And they've gone for a long way without having a clear platform to, to, to approach the issue on. And with an issue this big, you've got to have a place to operate from you do do they now have that possibly? i think they probably do i think this is a really welcome move i think um as a, a cor- i'm sorry i've forgotten your name but as a correspondent to the new european uh, uh, letters page pointed out this week i think that the the labor conference may have moved corbyn and mcdonald towards this in a more embarrassingly public way so this is actually quite a smart move from from them maybe um, picking off the story becomes it before it becomes a story. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, McDonnell has been... Corbyn has, has, uh, was on stage in Edinburgh at the festival this week, uh, the reclusive uh, Jeremy Corbyn, um, um, and has sort of given this a... a, um, a it looked like a cautious welcome, but a, but a, you know, a pretty fulsome uh, uh, welcome. John McDonnell's been very quiet, as you say. People on the... Um, on the, well, the not, I was going to say on the right of the Labour Party, but they're not, are they? They're on the far, the left of the Labour Party, uh, some of them. So people like uh, Deddy Skinner, John Mann, Kate Howey, uh, who is sort of Labour DUP candidate now, isn't she, um, have all come out against this. Uh, and one famous left-winger is really outraged. He wrote to The Guardian, he's not a, a Labour MP, by the way, he wrote to The Guardian uh, that on the 20th, 3rd of June uh, 2016, Britain should have left the EU, including the customs union, the single market, and above all, the free movement of labour and capital. The UK should not pay a penny to the EU, uh, and if the border in Ireland is a concern, return Northern Ireland back to the Republic of Ireland. That's not mincing their words. So that, that was going to be... Do you know who said that? No, that's, that's gone under my radar. That who was, wrote that? That was Arthur Scargill, was it proving that he is as, as, uh, as mad today as he always was. <laughs> uh, 
So that's that's powerful stuff, though. That is powerful stuff. I like the idea that we could have done it on the in the early hours of the. We couldn't have done it on the twenty third of June because the vote hadn't been announced then. But well, you know. on those early hours, my defining memory will be walking into the newsroom and not seeing ever seeing such a large collection of of men and women standing there with their arms folded, just sort of muttering to each other, saying things like "bloody hell," and then a pause. Yeah, and then. Bloody hell! Yes, and it just happened, and it, it was that. It did. Anyone was in a fit state to do it. So no, it was uh, it was a uh, a crazy a crazy day. Uh, but we, you know, we got a, we got a newspaper out of it. But I'd I'd rather not have got a newspaper <laughs> out of it and had the vote go in the other way. Neil Perry, thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. And we will return with the Brexiteer of the week. Brexiteer of the week. And now it's that special time when we hail the worst Brexiteer of the week. Do you remember the name Aidan Powellsland? You, you might do. He was, he was quite prominent in the general election campaign not long ago. Uh, he is now running for Paul Nuttall's old job, leadership of uh, UKIP or the captaincy of the Titanic, whichever way you want to slice it. And uh, Aidan Powellsland, you'll remember him when I tell you that he... His pitch at the UKIP West Yorkshire hustings was to say that we should build an interstellar spacecraft, we should colonise nearby solar systems, and by mining asteroids for platinum in our interstellar spacecraft, we will become the richest country in the world. Now, that is unusual, isn't it, even for UKIP? Um, Aidan Palsland used to be a computer games entrepreneur in the early days of, of computer games, and I just wonder whether too many hours spent playing Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy have affected him in some way. It's really unlikely that he is going to become the next UKIP leader, not because his ideas are too outrageous, but because his ideas on Muslims are not outrageous enough. He, he is a, a fairly moderate guy, uh, and so, therefore, uh, the real space cadets like Anne-Marie Waters and Peter Whittle are well ahead of him in the polling so far. Uh, I also want to talk about David Davis. Not that one, the other one. Uh, David T.C. Davis is a Tory MP uh, from Monmouth. You might remember him um, from last year when he said that uh, underage refugees should have uh, their teeth checked to make sure that they weren't old because he was a bit upset by some pictures uh, of somebody that he saw in the Daily Express who looked like he might have been over 18. Now, David Davis, David T.C. Davis, tweeted this week, uh, I'm quoting here, Police could save fortune by not paying for interpreters for non-English speakers. So he doesn't want any more money wasted on interpreters. And look, who, who doesn't agree with that? You know, if you're a foreign national and you come to this country and you are assaulted or even, you know, or even were sexually assaulted, you should be able to tell the police about that through the medium of mime or maybe charades. Yeah, what's all this on about? David Davis distinguishes himself from the Brexit secretary by billing himself as David T.C. Davis. Now, those middle initials stand for Thomas Charles, but listeners to the New European podcast might have some other ideas uh, about what the T.C. stands for. Nigel Farage now, who, as regular listeners know, is a fucking idiot. 
the nicotine stained man frogs 23 pound a head one man show at lancaster's grand theater which was scheduled for october has been mysteriously cancelled maybe that is on trade's descriptions grounds because it was billed as an entertaining evening with nigel farage uh, he's in this week for his appearance uh, at another event and he did make this one and it's extraordinary he spoke in front of a 30,000 strong crowd at the Republican Hindu Coalition event in Chicago. Uh, and Nigel Farage was introduced uh, by the leader of that, who is Shalab Kumar, um, as being somebody who is, quotes, very, very active with Hindus and Indians in the United Kingdom. Well, I suppose he is active with them, but probably not in the way that that 30,000 crowd uh, expected. Anyway, clearly a man of, of discernment. Mr. Kumar has previously described Steve Bannon as being uh, unbelievably nice. He's just an absolutely great guy. Uh, but the worst Brexiteer of the week this week is Patrick Minford. Now, we discussed him last week. He is the Brexity economist who laughably claimed that leaving the EU would boost Britain's trade by £135 billion a year. Uh, this week he surfaced to tell the Daily Express the economy is doing very well. Now, that came out just a couple of hours before news that the UK gro UK's growth in the last quarter was 0.3%. That is the lowest among all G7 nations. It is half the growth rate of the Eurozone. That is not an economy doing very well, Patrick Minford. But... One person hailed him. He was hailed by Neil Hamilton as Britain's most reliable and accurate economic forecaster, which is high praise indeed from Britain's most respective and freebie-averse politician, Neil Hamilton. So, Patrick Minford, with your broken calculator, you are the worst Brexiteer of the week. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. And finally this week, for a bit of any other business, I am joined by Jerry Scott. Hello, hey, Jerry. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm worried about my diet. I'm worried about your future diet because tell me, do you do you delicious Spanish oranges, is that something you enjoy eating? Absolutely is, but might not be able to for much longer. What eh? about well there's good news because you'll still have the Irish beef, yeah? Oh well, possibly. Who possibly knows? No. <laughs> what so what what's all this about? Look, the problem is is after Brexit, no one really knows what's going to happen with our food, no. is really put simply. I think it's um, going to get worse, isn't it? It's going to get worse. At the moment, it seems like all of our shelves are full of our own produce, because that's the time of year it is. But how partial are you to a courgette or a lettuce, Steve? Well, I'm eating one now. Well, that's exactly. That's the whole point. But 
Do you remember last February when there was really bad weather in Spain and the whole country went mad because we couldn't get lettuces? Yes. It was absolutely crazy and people were panic buying iceberg lettuces in Tesco. I've still got some in <laughs> my in my locker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was actually a lettuce black market emerge. People started <laughs> selling them in job lots on Gumtree. Um, and that's a sign of things to come because uh, there is no kind of plan for what's going to happen with bringing food um, into the country. <laughs> like the problem is we only grow 15% of our own fruit, 55% of our own veg, and British weather's obviously famously cold and wet. Fruit like oranges, like you said, soft fruit, so don't do well in that weather. So getting them in could be a bit of an issue. Oh, God, and who is who is saying this? It's it, it's it's a report this has come from, isn't it? It is a report. It's um, The British Real Retail Consortium. They're, they're spreading the good news, <laughs> and it's they're basically saying that if we don't smooth out customs processes after Brexit, we are basically going to be relying on pot noodles and eating each other. Absolutely. It's going to be a bit of a flashback to the 70s with Spam and tinned peaches, I think. That um, was uh, Spam was frankly delicious, though. But maybe, <laughs> that, maybe that is because I was about 10 at the time. But, you know, it's not just about importing food either. It's, um, it's kind of where it's headed as well. The restaurants that we import food into um, are made up largely of EU nationals. Yep. You know, 25% of chefs are from the EU. Yeah, okay, that's only a quarter, but there are 70% of waiters in this country are from the EU. And then the tables that they're filling, there are 34 million foreign visitors that those businesses rely on a year. So not only can we not get the food in the country, we've got people to serve as well, or maybe not. Hooray. And hooray. And I mean, we are recording this in beautiful uh, Norfolk, Norwich, Norfolk, and we've got a great restaurant down the road, a place called Benedict's. It's owned by a guy called Richard Bainbridge. He may be familiar to, to, to listeners from the Great British Menu. And, and he, he, you know, it's a successful restaurant. It's packed out all the time. Fantastic. The food is amazing. It's really, really good. And even Richard is saying, you know, I might have to shut my business, my thriving business, because of all of this that is going to happen. Um, what struck me with this is this figure that if we leave without a deal, the number of inbound shipments of goods requiring checks by the uh, leaving leaving the EU, um, sorry, going into the EU, uh, would quadruple. So that would it would go up. The checks would 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 quadruple to two hundred and fifty five million checks a year. Um, and we just don't have the infrastructure to do that. And Food's going to be rotten before it gets through. Basically, that is, yeah, yeah. So stuff like Dutch tomatoes. Dutch tomatoes, have you seen this? I haven't, I haven't seen this. Dutch tomatoes are going to be delayed by two or three days at the port, according to this. It'll raise the cost of shipment, it'll raise the cost of storage, loads of more fruit will go rotten, uh, British grocers will have to put the prices up. Do you know what? There's another side to this as well, and it's um, farmers are kind of being told by um, DEFRA that leaving the EU provides a golden opportunity to better support our farmers to grow more, sell more, and export more great British food. That's really not a surprise to a lot of our farmers. You no. look across to say uh, um, an example I've got is Tiptree Jam in Essex. They've been exporting to 60 countries since 1885. It's not a new idea, yeah. but there's still no plan for it. No, no. But um, there's no... I mean, you know, there's... It's 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 very worrying. Again, we are in we are in rural Norfolk, and um, and um, 
you know, there is no, there's no process in place. So they don't even know whether the subsidies are going to be currently get are going to be replaced one for one. They don't know what's going to happen to the EU workers who work in fields, say. Uh, and then there is all this uh, worrying stuff as well. Some uh, people are saying the saviour of it all might be robots. To replace the EU workers in fields. That's right, yeah. I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Our new robot fruit-picking overlords. But even that, they're saying it's going to, you know, it'll be 10 years before we can bring in, uh, you know, before the the robot fruit-pickers are sophisticated enough to, um, to, you know, to to be used in in our fields. Do you want to know what else is at risk? It's... Just tell me it's not sausages. It, well, I, I can't tell you about it. Sausages aren't at risk, but we are pushing up the price. <sighs> but also at risk is fish. Fish. So, you know, there's that big argument about taking back control of our waters. Yes, yes, yes the, the old the old uh, story. Well, actually, it's not happening. Um, okay. You won't be shocked to know. No. Because most of the fish and shellfish that we have is exported... And we get our white fish from Norway, obviously non-EU country. So any fish coming from anywhere else isn't really going to have any effect either. Fantastic. So That's good news. <laughs> so, you know, the sausages price is going up, wholesale pork price has gone up. Yeah, uh, up by a third up, in the last year, the price of wholesale pork. <laughs> um, corn sausages, you'd probably be all right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you like meat, beef sausages, that wholesale beef price has gone up 11% year on year as well. So vegetarian, you're screwed. Yeah. Because uh, you can't get the food in. Not vegetarian, you're screwed. The prices are going up. Yeah. We're all screwed, Steve. It's, we are going after it's pot noodles and, and cannibalism, I think, going forward. It's the only way forward, isn't it? It is, basically. Now, um, <laughs> that's a fairly depressing... Uh, that's a very depressing <laughs> vista. So let's end on something positive in the great spirit of gallows humour. Uh, our reader survey this week was, uh, we asked the question, if Brexit was a song, what song would it be? What were the most <laughs> popular responses? We um, we got some really good ones, didn't we? So uh, Michael Walker on Twitter said, uh, don't believe a word by Finn Lizzie, <laughs> which was brilliant. Um, Matty said, the end by the doors. I thought this was going to be cheerier. Yeah. Um, Ship of Fools by World Party says Colin Davidson. These are good. These are, these are really good ones. Ghost Town by The Specials says yeah. Just Paul. Uh, da, da, da. If You Tolerate This by Manic Street Peach, uh, Preachers says uh, Peaches, I'm still, peaches. On, still on food. <laughs> Spamic Street Peaches. <laughs> that was from Lee Jasper and Crazy by Aerosmith says at Laughing Smurf. There's, there, there were loads of good ones in here. Um, I'm going to do some ones that came in from uh, Facebook. Steve Marshall mentioned "Big Yellow Taxi" for the chorus. Don't you? He always seems to go, don't you always seem to go uh, that you don't know what you got till it's gone. Uh, Ken Jones said "All the Mad Men" by David Bowie. Toe Mar said "The Muppet Show" theme. We had a few for "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. Tragedy by the Bee Gees. Uh, I particularly like Hell is Round the Corner by Tricky. That was <laughs> Graham Clement said that one. The main three were Highway to Hell by ACDC, Breaking Up is Hard to Do by Neil Sedaka, uh, The Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads, and The Road to Hell by Chris Rea. They were multiple readers mentioned those. 
Um, all popular choices. They were all very popular choices. Um, the uh, there was there were some clever ones. Uh, there were some clever ones in there. Uh, v- David Berman mentioned a very quite an obscure song by the Electric Prunes called "The Great Banana Hoax," uh, which I presume was about uh, smoking uh, banana, the inside of bananas, which uh, <laughs> which was uh, which was clearly a thing in the nineteen sixties. Vivian Gleeson. Do you want to do you want to read these two out? Yeah, go on then. So we had Vivian Gleeson, uh the wheels on the bus go round and round. Yeah. Uh accurate. And uh Chris Purcell, who said uh the song should be You're shit and you know you are. Which is the traditional uh football chant, of course. Um so we had some fantastic responses. My I'm I'm in a sort of a, a an Alan Freeman style because I, I said at the top of the show that I was turning into a Radio One DJ and he is the the most recent one that I can remember. That these are my top five songs that were were mentioned. They aren't the best five suggestions, but they're just the songs that I like most. Number five, I started something I couldn't finish by the Smiths, which is a great song. Uh, number four, uh, Where Is My Mind by Pixies, which is also a fantastic song. Uh, Simon Barraclough said that, Alex Ashby said The Smiths. Barbara Kirk uh, said, I'm Losing More Than I'll Ever Have by Primal Scream, which of course is the basis for the great song Loaded. Number two, She's Lost Control by Joy Division. That was the, the a choice of Steve Sainsbury. Uh, and finally, the choice of Paul Boy 55 was the great Al Green with Let's Stay Together, uh, which is a lovely song. Uh, and I think we should end, Jerry, with this one from Honest Steve. Not actually a song. Uh, he said it's not really a song, but I think a solid hour of angry screaming and someone banging their head against a desk would do. Sounds about right, doesn't it? It does. So here we go. This is what that sounds like. That's enough from the European, new European podcast, or even the old European podcast for this week. Thank you very, very much for listening. Richard Porritt uh, will be back with you next week. So will Jerry Scott, so will myself, so will Matt Kelly. Please rate us uh, on iTunes and on Audio Boom. Please get your friends to subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.